Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 232, John Jones versus Alexander Gustafsson, the rematch. Shaq, it's going down this Saturday in Los Angeles. This fight's been a long time coming, and uh, now it's finally going down. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great to see the GOAT back in action. And, uh, you know, these days it's a rare occasion when we uh, see him fight. So, you know, there's always drama. Once again, there's drama. And uh, John just proves that, I mean, he's the most uh, controversial UFC fighter of all time, man. This guy's, uh, <laughs> he's something else, but he's the, he's the GOAT as of current. But, I mean, sometimes we see the GOAT lose, man. It happens all the time, and uh, I'm, I'm excited. And we got uh, the two greatest female fighters in the co-main event, so I'm super excited. And you know for a fact the guy that Jones is fighting is no pushover at all because they've actually fought once before. It was fight of the year, fight of the night, and now's the rematch. So, man, I'm expecting a five-round war, and I think that uh, these two are going to go out there, and it's going to be quite the way to cap off 2018, Shaq. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we've seen guys rise to the occasion several times before. We know Gustafsson has all the skills. It's just a matter of going out there and believing in himself. So we'll see. Yeah, I'm very curious if uh, third time is the charm here. And that's why that's why we're tuning in, man, because if they stick around long enough, no one is exempt from that first L like we always talk about. Not Even, even John Bones Jones, even Habib. So let's see what happens, man. Uh, right now they're both undefeated, but as you know, man, uh, there, there was a night when Anderson Silva got knocked out. You know, I know he wasn't undefeated at the time, but he was undefeated in the UFC. There was a night when George St. Pierre got knocked out, so... Not saying it's going to happen this time, but I cannot wait to see the rematch between Gustafsson and John Jones. Well, Shaq, let's do this card start to finish because first up in the bantamweight division, we got Montel Quick Jackson. He's a minus 160 favorite. The comeback on Brian Boom Kelleher is plus 140. Now, Shaq, this is one of those rebookings they were supposed to fight earlier this year. Now, it's funny because I've heard people say that it was a weight-cutting issue for Kelleher. Now, he did miss weight. However, the next day uh, he had food poisoning, so I think it was unrelated. That being said, I'm expecting both guys at 100%. Who you got, Shaq? Yeah, you know, uh, it's an interesting thing because uh, that fight, you know, the the real question was, you know, Mon- can Montel elevate, you know, are, can his skills, you know, compensate for the lack of experience he has? And, and now Kelleher just gave him a little bit more time to train. I mean, he just gave him more time to get better, so. It's real interesting. Um, Kelleher was already struggling with motivation going into that to that uh, fight that was scheduled earlier. You know, uh, missing the way, food poisoning. I guess he's got a little bit time to reset. But personally, I just think Montel is the clearly, you know, the better athlete, stronger. Um, yeah, he did get taken up by Ricky Simone, but he's real green in the game, man. He's, uh, you know, only been training for less than two years, so. I think he's got a lot of improvement to grow. I think Kelleher is a very good pressure fighter. Throws a lot of volume with his punches. Super tough guy. But he is finally coming off his first knockout loss. And it's going to be interesting because I don't necessarily think he can get the better of Montel physically in the grappling. You know, I think that uh, that I think he's got a good clinch game as he showed against Burrell. But, you know, I think that was more so uh, Burrell just being, you know, tired and fatigued in those uh in those pressure moments so i'm gonna go with montel jackson i think he's just gonna win every round i think that he's gonna be long use his range on the feet you know i think he can uh catch kelleher coming in a couple times but montel definitely you know has some openings on the feet as well he likes to back up with that chin he likes to rely on his reflexes but i just think he's the better athlete the stronger guy 
and I think he'll just frustrate Kelleher with his uh, just his range and athleticism. Montel Jackson is one of these guys that every single time we see him, we're going to be seeing massive leaps and improvements because he's a kid that went pro last year, Shaq. And, uh, you know, he's only been pro for slightly over a year, I believe. So every single time we see him, expect a different version. Expect the better, the best, uh, most improved version yet. And that being said, with the initial pullout and, you know, the fight cancellation, the rebooking, I still felt like, you know, that was about, what, two months from uh, two months removed from the Ricky Simone fight. So I still felt like, hey, you give a kid like that two months to work on his skills and he's going to come back looking better. Well, now it's been five months, Shaq. And a lot of people have compared Montel Jackson to John Jones. Now, I don't see the comparison in terms of, you know, maybe maybe the flash. You know, there's not really many many spinning elbows from Montel. But I see it in terms of the physique, the reach. I mean, he's got a nine-inch reach advantage in this fight and uh, the mentality as well. Uh, you, you listen to this kid talk and he's got a great head on his shoulders and he's definitely someone that's in this for the long haul, no doubt about it. So that be, And I know everyone's already mentioned, uh, he's got bigger hands than Francis Ngannou, legit. So the guy's already a, a physical freak to begin with. And you watch that fight with Ricky Simone and Ricky Simone was his first step up. You know, he, he was fighting guys on contender series, you know, uh, Rico DeShulo, and then all of a sudden you're fighting fucking Ricky Simone. And I'll tell you what, Shaq, he was in the worst possible position you can be in in an MMA fight, which is uh, back-mounted, sprawled out on the canvas. And normally, fights get finished from that spot, man, whether it's a rear naked choke, whether the guy gets pounded out. Well, not Montel Quick Jackson. I'm going to talk about uh, how, uh, how he defended all the shots here in a second. But first thing I want to talk about is he was in the worst possible spot you can be in in an MMA fight. And he still got back up a couple seconds later. Now, while he was in that worst case scenario, flattened out, you know, <laughs> face down, ass up, and fucking uh, Ricky Simone, who's, you know, you, you guys know he's got uh, wrestling credentials. He's, you know, what, state champion wrestler, something like that, Shaq. So when you got Ricky Simone on top of you and he's that much more experienced, uh, chances are he's going to finish the fight. Well, here's where Montel, not only his heart, because his heart and his mental fortitude allowed him to stay in that fight, but here's where his uh, physical tools came to play. He was able to literally trap Ricky Simone's arm when he was in that worst case scenario, and he took no punches at all. It's it's kind of freakish how even when he's standing, he can trap your arm and uh, and then hit you from a distance where you can't hit him. So he already can do things that other guys can't do, and uh, we're going to be seeing big improvements each time he fights. Now, with Brian Boom Kelleher, at this point, you know, he's a very seasoned, experienced guy. I would say he's a solid gatekeeper in the Bantamweight division. If you beat this guy, you're definitely, if you're not a top 15 guy, you're on your way to being a top 15 guy. And Kelleher's a guy that'll push that pace. He'll be in your face the whole time. He'll eat one to give one, you know, and uh, he's got some good wins on his resume, even before the UFC. Before the UFC, he beat Julio Arce twice. Beat Andre Sukumtut, comes to the UFC, makes that debut against Yuri Alcantara, has a win over the legend Henan Burrell. So, my boy Brian Keller has got a resume on him. But man, stylistically speaking, if Montel Jackson has uh, really leveled up in these five months, I really think that he has a stylistic advantage here. He can keep Brian Keller on the outside. And even though he might eat a couple shots, I feel like the shots he's going to be landing on Kelleher are going to be more devastating because Kelleher's not going to see them coming. And I also think that even though Kelleher historically does have a good gas tank, 
I think that when you're trying to take down a physical specimen, it's going to gas you out, man. Uh, and I do see uh, Kelleher getting a little bit tired here and probably uh, losing on the scorecard. So I'm going to go with uh, Montel Jackson via decision here, Shaq. Now next up in the welterweight division, we got Curtis Melender. He's minus 140. The comeback on CR Bahadur Zada is plus 120. Shaq, I'm expecting an all-out war. Uh, which way are you leaning? Yeah, this is a great fight, and it's crazy that this is the second fight of the night, man. Uh, Curtis Melender, I mean, what can you say? This guy's had a very impressive two UFC fights. He uh, goes out there and puts on an incredible performance against Thiago Alves, and then he comes back and solidifies his spot, you know, with a solid win over Griffin, a 29-28 decision. And CR, you know, uh, he came into the UFC real hot. You know, kind of stumbled up on some tough times, then he switched camps to Jackson's, and it seems like uh, he's fixed a lot of things. Um, as far as the fight goes, you know, it seems like CR, uh, you know, he kind of does things, you know, a little bit technically wrong. You know, he likes to square his stance and, you know, swing for the fences. But, hey, when he lands, you know, he can kind of change the, the course of the fight a little bit, you know. Um, but with a guy like Curtis Melender, I mean, we're talking 6'3", 170, rangy, you know, also experienced just like CR. Um, he's paid his dues on the local scene. He earned his spot here. You know, I just think that, you know, with some of the things that CR does, uh, you know, uh, that Curtis can make him pay pay on the feet. So I do favor Melender if this is a stand-up fight. But, you know, Melender has some questionable takedown defense. I mean, if you've seen his fights on the local scene or, you know, uh, even Tiago Alves took him down from like halfway across the cage and he got taken down by Griffin and he couldn't get up. So, you know, that's, you know, I'm sure he's in, it's a, a small thing to fix, but, you know, uh, that is a hole and CR has been hitting takedowns. I know it was against Brandon Thatch who can't stuff a takedown to save his life, but uh, it's going to be real interesting. But I do think that uh, Curtis Melinda is the cleaner striker, the striker that can, you know, cause a little bit more problems for CR with that range. But uh, it's going to be a good fight. I got a lot of respect for CR, but I see Curtis Melinda winning a 29-28 decision. This is such a great fight. Both guys bring so much to the table, and you got to love them both for different reasons. I mean, Curtis Melinda, you're talking about a very long, athletic, dynamic striker. Uh, the way he flows with his strikes. Uh, guys start looking down, then they eat a high kick and go to sleep. Uh, the way he mixes up his combinations is very beautiful to watch. The way he keeps his range, the way he mixes it up, and... Uh, he definitely has a presence when he's in there, Shaq. That, that's all I got to say. And with CR, it's, uh, it's, it's all about that rawness that he brings to the table, man. You know, it's not as pretty and as technical as Curtis Melender, but there's just a beautiful violence and a chaos to what CR brings to the table. He electrifies the crowd every time he fights. And when CR Bahadurzada wins a fight, more often than not, Shaq, it's pretty damn dramatic. <laughs> His UFC debut against Paulo Thiago, I mean, if that's not one of the most devastating KOs you've ever seen in your life, I don't know what to say because he face plants the guy in the first exchange. He's standing over him. He's the first Afghan fighter to win a fight inside the octagon. It was just, it was, it was a surreal moment. I know he had a couple injuries and he wasn't able to train how he wanted to, you know, in that John Howard fight and the Dong Young Kim fight. But uh, he came back. He said he wasn't going to fight again until uh, he got his injuries behind him. And as you see, the last three fights, uh, not only has he been knocking guys out, he's also shown that he's learned that he's a vet now. He's able to mix it in takedowns, and he actually submitted uh, submitted a, a guy as well. So 
My boy CR has been putting in work, no doubt about it. Even if you go back and you watch some of his old fights, the dude's always been known for his knockout power. And Melender's, he's been doing his thing too. Beat Kevin Holland on the regional scene. Already beat Max Griffin and Tiago Alves in the UFC. Two very dangerous strikers. But here with CR, man, this is a tough one for me to call, Shaq, because... I can totally see Melender, you know, keeping him on the outside, going out there, winning that decision. But I can also see CR making it this dirty, ugly fight and frustrating him with the power, then mixing in takedowns and potentially choking him out, man, or catching him when he's expecting a takedown. So I actually think that even though Melender is the way cleaner striker, I think CR's got more ways to win this fight. And I'm going to pick him here for the upset check. Now, next up in the middleweight division. We got Bevon Lewis. He's minus 120. The comeback on Uriah Hall is plus 100. Shaq, you going with ATL zone? You know, this is a good fight. You know, uh, Uriah Hall, he's been around the block for a long time. He's been dropping the ball for a long time as well. You know, I mean, it's pretty much the same deal. I think Uriah Hall's fate, I think his, uh, you know, his career is set in stone. I mean, he's going to be known as the guy that never lived up to expectations. And, you know, it's kind of, crazy he's really never changed his attitude his approach about things so you know i guess that is what he is man uh i mean you know this guy was supposed to be the one of the best prospect to, prospects to hit the sport in years and i mean you know he goes out there loses to john howard uh you know uh then it seemed like he was getting things together for a little while when he beat Maheda and you know uh ron songs and a couple other guys but then you know uh that fight when a tall Natal, you know outvolumed him on the feet when, uh, you know, he's supposed to be this dangerous striker. And, I mean, occasionally he'll have his good moments to the fight with Jocko, but, you know, I don't know what Kristoff was doing, man. I mean, Kristoff doesn't know how to finish fights uh, unless this guy goes out unconscious, man. But, uh, I mean, he completely gassed out the first round. And, you know, Hall, you know, he's good enough to land those flash knockout type of shots. I mean, he is a skilled striker. But, uh, I mean, this guy is just very fragile, in my opinion, man. I think uh, Davon Lewis, he's, you know, still in the developing stages of his game, but I think he's got the right people around him, at least. I think uh, he's very physical. He's taller than Hall, got a longer reach than Hall. And I think uh, he can implement his tie-up game against the fence, get Hall speaking a little bit, get him frustrated a little, a little bit. You know, he likes to, you know, uh, you know, cry for eye pokes and low blows and things of that nature. But, I mean, Hall... You know, I, I respect the guys that he's fought. He's definitely fought a level that Bayvon has never experienced in his in his life, but he also took damage from those guys. He's also been through a lot, you know, since that Rob Whitaker fight. Three KO losses, uh, a bad weight cut situation. Uh, and, I mean, like I said, this guy really hasn't changed his attitude. So, by default, or and by skills, honestly, I, I got Bayvon Lewis. I, I like his length. I think uh, that length can uh, frustrate Hall. But honestly, you know, I feel like Hall's only shot to win is by a flash knockout. I don't see him, you know, keeping it together mentally enough to win a, a three-round type of gritty type of fight, you know, if they're both grinding in the clinch and, you know, uh, trying to see who's the tougher fighter. I just don't see him out-toughing anybody. So uh, I got Bayvon Lewis. Yeah, Bayvon Lewis is a very bright prospect. Obviously, we've known about him for a long time. Fought in the NFC. Called his brother Levon's fight in the NFC. So... You know, Bayvon's been putting in work, and he used to train with Douglas Lima. He actually came up. He was Douglas Lima's main sparring partner, but he always looked up to Bones Jones, and then he made the switch to Albuquerque, and not only does he train in the same gym as, as the the GOAT, Bones Jones, but he's 
he's Jones' uh, main uh, sparring partner. And, you know, it's funny because someone can be like, well, Karate Hottie and Holly Holm also trained at the same gym as John Jones. Lando Venata, all this. It's like, yeah, I know, but uh, <laughs> fucking uh, Bayvon Lewis and John Jones are actually getting in rounds together every single day. So even though he's never had that look inside the octagon, even though he's only 6-0, and oh, he gets that look every single day in practice. And not only is it in terms of, you know, the physical with going over the techniques and and just getting to train with an athlete of John Jones caliber, but also the mental learning from a guy who's defended the belt that many times, who's undefeated in the UFC, you know, who's the best fighter pound for pound. To have a guy like that take you under their wing and help you out in terms of your skills, I think the sky really is the limit for a kid like Bayvon Lewis because he already stood out prior to him training with Jones, prior to him training with Douglas Lima. He already wanted to be the best. I mean, in 2012, Shaq, he was an IKF champion. Uh, you know that your striking has to be on point to go win that IKF title. So he was he's already got a striking background similar to Uriah Hall. So now the question is, how's the grappling? Well, you're training your wrestling with a guy like Bones Jones every day. I think it's going to be uh, improving, no doubt about that. And this ain't no uh, Phil Haas either. You know, Phil Haas, uh, six and three, six feet tall. This well, this kid right here is six foot three, undefeated, seventy nine inch reach. So Uriah Hall is not going to have any physical advantages in, in this fight. It's just with Uriah Hall, there's that one thing you got to look out for. He can knock anybody out, no doubt about it. Uh, his spin kicks are on point. Just his athleticism. And uh, he obviously has that striking background too, but mentally speaking, I mean, dude, uh, his mind is all over the place, and it's not just something that's been going on, you know, for a long time. It's still going on to this day because, man, I heard this uh, interview that came out last month. Uh, this podcast he did with Spencer Lazara. Just, just go check that out and let me know what you guys think, man. Because some of the shit he was saying, I don't even want to repeat on this show. It, uh, it kind of took me back a little bit and it makes me kind of think that this might be Uriah Hall's last UFC fight Shaq I just don't think that uh mentally he's uh he's got it together you know he's talking shit about how uh, he wants to like literally knock out journalists and stuff I'm like dude relax man like these people don't know how to fight man relax and uh you know he doesn't want to take pictures with fans like no big deal it's all about the fight but then you see the fights happen and, you know, he'll stare at someone for 15 straight minutes, lose a split decision to John Howard, and you're wondering, where was this guy we saw in the Ultimate Fighter? Well, what's interesting about that, Shaq, is I've noticed some of these guys that go undefeated or have a lot of success in the tough house, sometimes it doesn't translate to that octagon. I mean, you're seeing it with Uriah Hall. You saw it with my boy Artem, no disrespect. Even... uh. Even though this guy won a couple weeks ago, and I, and I, I love the guys from ATL, uh, Diego Lima. You know, his record isn't the best inside the octagon, but in the tough house, he, he's 6-0. and So I feel like Uriah Hall, for whatever reason, some guys just feel more, more comfortable performing in that tough house. Uh, it's just uh, everyone's kind of like on a, on a level playing field there in terms of they're all injured. They're all cutting weight back-to-back weeks. So for whatever reason, that works, but... I guess when he has the full training camp and you get to prepare someone for, for a couple months at a time, I guess that's when he starts to psych himself out or whatever. But in terms of this matchup, I see the only way Uriah Hall can win is the only way he can win any fight, which is to catch Bivon with a, with a spin or a flying knee or, you know, a punch. You know, the fight with Jocko, it's interesting because Jocko had that fight in the bag. Now, you know in the video game what the deal is when your stamina meter is on low. 
You can get caught with any punch and you'll go down. I mean, that's exactly what happened in the Jocko fight. Jocko was absolutely whooping his ass to the point where Jocko's not used to whooping dudes' asses like that. Jocko got a little excited. He's not a finisher. He blew his load and uh, one punch and he went down. So, you know, I, it kind of makes sense uh, what happened there in my eyes at least. So I think it, Bavon keeps the level head that he's had in all the fights I've watched. I think he comes out here, possibly knocks out Uriah Hall, possibly mixes in takedowns, maybe outstrikes him. Bottom line, I think Bavon Lewis gets his arm raised, Shaq. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Nathaniel Wood. He's minus 115, and Andre Uhl is minus 105. Now, Shaq, it initially opened minus 210 for Nathaniel Wood. Now they got it to pick him. Which way are you leaning? Yeah, it's a very good fight. You know, both these guys had... You know, actually impressive debuts in my opinion, you know, because uh, Yule went down there to Brazil and fought a, a fat Henan Burrell, you know, who was seven, seven pounds overweight. And uh, Nathaniel Wood had to fight Johnny Eduardo for a UFC debut. And I mean, Nathaniel Wood, firstly, has had one of the tougher roads to get to the UFC. I mean, we know that Cage Warriors promotion, you know, uh, has a lot of tough guys. And Yule, you know, he's put in his work too, man. He's had his losses. He's bounced back and he's... Uh, come back to make it to the UFC, and at least he's got a win over a former champion. Um, you know, I feel like Yule, uh definitely has a very solid left hand. I mean, he pretty much tries to set up that left hand the entire fight. Um, his takedown defense is definitely very questionable. He gets taken down in pretty much every fight. Um, but, you know, uh, he, he gets back up, and, I mean, his left hand can keep him in fights, man. He's definitely got power, and he can definitely crack. You know, I feel like Wood's a little bit more you know, season composed, even though uh, they're around the same uh, uh, amount of fights, just because of the level of competition that uh, Woods fought. And I think that Woods also got some good striking. You know, his fight with Johnny, you know, initially I was under the impression that he was just getting his, you know, you know, just drugged through the mud the entire first round. But I actually thought, you know, he was doing his thing on the feet, you know, for, for a while there until he felt that power. Uh, you know what happens when you exchange with Johnny. I mean, He's got one of the most vicious uh, KOs in UFC history. He broke Eddie Wyman's jaw. So, you know, I think uh, I think it's going to be a very closely contested fight, but I think the difference is going to be just the, you know, I see Wood getting, you know, one extra takedown or, you know, winning, you know, just slightly winning. I think the grappling is going to be the difference. I think Wood's the better grappler. Um, on the feet, I see it being really close. But I just see Wood slightly executing better. I just see it, his experience and his uh, composure winning him the fight. But I got a lot of respect for uh, Andre Uhl. Yeah, I agree with you, man. I, I think it's a, a very intriguing matchup. It's going to be fun while it lasts. It might go the three-round distance as well, or someone could get knocked out. Obviously, with Andre Uhl, he came into the UFC on short notice, took on Henan Barrao in Brazil. And I know it's uh, the ghost of Henan Barrao, but still, to make that UFC debut in Brazil, you know, the crowd screaming, ooh, vamos here, you get taken out in the first round. Lesser men would have checked out, and uh, he got back up. Also, he dropped him in the first round, but he, get, he gets back up, and he picked apart Henan Barrao. One thing I will say, because we're going to get to Nathaniel Wood striking defense here in a sec, but one thing I will say about Andre Uhl is he does fight with his hands down, Shaq, and... In some fights, that's going to work, but this is the UFC, and at this level, people are game planning every day for your tendencies, for your mistakes, and you fight with your hands down, and that's your specialty. You're a striker. Someone's going to time something one of these days. Maybe it's Nathaniel Wood. Maybe it's his next fight, but I'm just saying uh, eventually someone uh, is going to capitalize on the fact that Andre Uhl fights with his hands down. That being said, 
He fights with his hands down, and he's also got a 7-inch reach advantage in this fight. So, if he can keep Nathaniel Wood on the outside, he could potentially pick him apart here, maybe drop him, because you saw in that fight with Johnny Eduardo, you also go back and you look at some of Nathaniel Wood's regional fights. He does get tagged a lot. You know, people say he likes to block punches with his face, but the thing is, the kid's young, the kid's hungry, so you can't just bank on him you know, blocking punches with his face. Oh, that's why I'm going to pick against him. If you're going to pick against him for that reason, you need to be sure that he's going to get knocked out. And if he does get knocked out and you're picking Ool here, then congrats to you because, you know, both of these guys are going to eventually, uh, you know, take that, that first KO loss inside the octagon, especially with their styles. So now it's about picking who gets knocked out or who wins this fight. I just feel like the long-term battle is going to be won by Nathaniel Wood. Even though he's the shorter guy, even though he's got the reach disadvantage, I feel like you said his experience, his seasoning, even though both are experienced, uh, Andre Will's put in work too. But we're talking about a former Cage Warriors champion. He's already had that pressure, that media. He's coming into the UFC and you know the bright lights aren't really going to get to him. They're not going to get to Andre Will either, but I just see the ceiling being slightly higher for Nathaniel Wood. So even though I think there's going to be some shaky moments in this fight, I think ultimately Nathaniel Wood will get his arm raised, so I'm going to pick him here. Now next up in the UFC lightweight division, we got Ryan Hall. He's minus 450, and the comeback on BJ the Prodigy Penn is plus 360. Now Shaq, we haven't seen BJ Penn at lightweight since I believe the second fight with Frankie Edgar. Uh, someone can correct me on this, but I believe UFC 118 was the last time BJ Penn fought at 155 pounds. Now he's taking on Ryan Hall uh, you think uh, you think BJ is gonna get to go out on a win here? <laughs> Man, that was funny. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, this is just sad to be honest. You know, I, of course BJ is a legend, but you know, I kind of compared this to the maybe not to the extent, but maybe uh, to you know Chuck Liddell fighting. You know, I, I just feel like BJ needs the money. Uh, you mean the Seaver fight? Yeah, he did drop Seaver, but other than that, I mean, it was a complete wipeout. He was, uh, you know, so tired. I just think that Ryan Hall's jiu-jitsu is going to be too much. I know BJ's a black belt, but, you know, I think uh, even if they stood on the feet, with just the activity with Hall, even though Hall flops to his back, he does throw a lot of left kicks. So, you know, I, I just see BJ losing. <laughs> yeah, I mean... The difference between him and Chuck Liddell is only in terms of how the fights go down. And all I can attribute to that is BJ Penn's Hawaiian. So, of course, he's not getting knocked out every single fight. Hawaiians can can take the ass whooping like fucking warriors, you know? So, it, it is what it is. If Chuck Liddell is Hawaiian, he'd probably uh, take three-round ass whoopings as well. But he's not. He has no chin. He gets knocked out every single fight. So, But, man, those punches do add up. And, you know, when you get those strike counts that he's been getting every single fight. It's just sad to watch. And yeah, you could say now, oh, Ryan Hall, he's not very dangerous with his stand-up, so therefore, you know, BJ finally has a favorable matchup. And to an extent, it is one of the easier fights he's had in years. I say that, Shaq, he's coming off a goddamn fight with, with Dennis Seaver. So, I mean, is it really the easiest fight he's had in years? Like, that was supposed to be the easiest fight you've had in years. You're fighting Nick Diaz, uh, fucking Yair, Rory McDonald, all these guys, and then they give you Dennis Seaver. Like, come on, BJ, get that win. And he couldn't get that one. With Ryan Hall, we'll talk about the jujitsu here in a second, but on the feet, even though the shit with Gray Maynard, you know, it went down how it went down. For me, it was hilarious. I had the plus money on Ryan Hall. I was like, yes, Ryan, 
Keep flopping to your back, buddy. Keep frustrating him. Let's get this decision. 30-27 on all three judges' scorecards. So, you know, to me, it, it, to me, it's kind of funny. You know, I know people hate that performance with a passion. To me, it was absolutely hilarious. But uh, in terms of the stand-up, yeah, BJ on paper does have better boxing, but Ryan Hall's got some spin kicks. He rocked Gray Maynard with one of them. Uh, you know, BJ's at that point where one big shot and he'll go into that autopilot, you know, and he's actually training at Nova O'Neill, so don't be surprised when uh, he starts to do the Nova. And if you don't know what we're talking about when we when we say the Nova, just watch up any uh, Barrow or Aldo fight in the last couple of years when uh, they hit that fatigue state and you just, uh, they start backing up and you start teeing off on them. So my boy BJ Penn also does the Nova. So it's fitting that he's training there. But look, all bullshit aside, as far as the jujitsu part is concerned, because I know people are thinking, hey, they're going to grapple. BJ got his black belt in four years. He was the first, uh, what was it? First uh, something. Someone comment in the YouTube, you know, some jujitsu accomplishment, a really badass one. But obviously, he got his black belt in four years. That's as badass as it as it gets. So the dude's obviously got some credentials. But look, he's an old man now, and he already gassed out in grappling exchanges in his prime. So what's gonna happen now that he's an old man grappling with a young gun? I actually think he's gonna gas out after a couple minutes of grappling, and then I think uh, Ryan Hall will be able to sweep, get on top. And I don't, I don't know if I want to go as far as saying submit BJ Penn. Not that it's a stretch. It's not a stretch because when these guys stick around long enough, things that you thought were impossible start to happen to them because it used to be BJ Penn, never been knocked down, never been knocked out. Well, now he's been knocked out and he's been knocked out, Shaq. So, you know, things change on the fly, especially when they hit the stage of their careers that BJ's at. So don't be surprised if Ryan Hall submits him. But I'm going to say it goes to decision. I'm going to go with Ryan Hall via decision. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Peter Yan. He's minus 310. The comeback on Douglas Silva D'Andrage is plus 255. Now, Shaka, do you think the line is wide or do you think it's justified? And I will say this fight is not in Brazil. It's in Los Angeles. Um, I don't know. It could be a little wide. Um, as far as both guys go, you know, Peter Yan, uh, his debut with uh, Teru Ishihara, you know, that was definitely impressive. He uh, treated him very accordingly. Um, but granted, you know, Teruto Ishihara did get 30-27 or 26 by Gray Maynard, you know. Um, it's not not a very high-level opponent, but he had definitely had that tough uh, local scene up there in ACB. And uh, his fight with, uh, what was his name, uh, Korea, uh, Korean Zombie training partner in the second fight? Jin Su Yeah, that was a very tough fight. You know, I think that kid's uh, very underrated. So, you know, and it was a letdown spot when he was supposed to fight De Silva, you know, that night. So this is also another one of those uh, rebooking type of fights. Um, De Silva, I mean, what can I say? I mean, I think he's a, even though he's got a, it seems like his muscles are getting bigger, definitely got bigger uh, in the Cheeto fight. Before that, seemed like he was a very undersized bantamweight, you know. Um, I kind of compare this fight in a similar sense to, uh, the last card with Gordon and Neto BJJ in a sense because uh, you know uh, just different you know different wise uh, I think De Silva you know pretty much tries to lull you to sleep kind of and just kind of try to time big shots you know that typical power Brazilian style and then you got Peter Yan who uh, kind of you know just marches forward with his hands you know close to his face and you know, likes to block a lot of punches, likes to roll with a lot of punches and keep moving forward, you know. De Silva's really interesting because, 
you know, I, I think he does have questionable cardio. You know, uh, even when he's ahead, you know, in these fights with Briones, you can kind of tell he's breathing a little bit heavy. You know, you can tell uh, that he likes to have breaks. And, you know, if you allow him to fight at his pace, I mean, he'll rip you apart, just like he did his last fight. You know, Cheeto's a more uh, laid back, you know, kind of sit back type of guy, definitely in comparison to Peter Yan. I mean, this guy, Peter Yan, he uh, he will move forward, and he does have cardio. Uh, the thing with Peter Yan is, you know, he's definitely, you know, uh, his boxing is definitely a little lacking, I would say. I think Douglas V. Silva is a better puncher. But, you know, I do think Peter Yan has a, a good style to drain Douglas V. Silva's energy. I mean, when we saw V. Silva fight Rob Font, we saw what happens when, you know, he fought a very big guy. And I do think De Silva, even with his new muscles, uh, will be a little undersized here. But, uh, you know, when you use that forward pressure style on him, uh, you know, he, he will gas out. And if you keep, keep that pace high and keep making him work, you know, make him wrestle, make him get up, you know, keep moving forward, he will gas out. So, you know, uh, I do think Peter Yan should be favorite, maybe not that high, just because I really don't think Peter Yan's necessarily good at anything besides you know just his his uh, approach in this particular fight when we talk about De Silva but I do think Peter Yin will get the better of the two uh, I think it's gonna I think he might struggle a little bit early with the big shots but uh, I think in rounds two and three his cardio will uh, lead him to victory but I, I see this being an ugly fight you know I see both guys being bloody bloodied up at the end of this fight yeah, it's definitely going to be entertaining while it lasts. And if it was in Brazil, I'd definitely consider taking the shot on uh, Douglas De Silva de Andrade. But since it's not in Brazil and, you know, he can't take his uh, Brazilian acai, I'm going to probably go with Peter Yan here, man. I think that the cardio issues will reappear here in the United States. And uh, I uh, I see Peter Yan out-voluming Douglas Silva de Andrade and uh, getting a win on American soil. Now, next up in the women's featherweight division, we got Kat Zingano. She's minus 150, and the comeback on Megan Anderson is plus 130. Shaq, I got to know, man, uh, are you going with Kat Zingano up a weight class, or do you think the six foot one Megan Anderson can come through as an underdog here? Yeah, this is also going to be another ugly fight. You know, I think Zingano, uh, man, that stand-up is quite atrocious, man. I mean, she, does, she makes a lot of mistakes out there on the feet. And, you know, Anderson... You know, I feel like she's got tons of work to do. I think she's, <laughs> I think she's got a lot of work to do. Uh, you know, in terms of fighting, you know, these Hollies and uh, even these Zinganos, because you know Zingano, you know, she's been in there with Pena, uh, Rousey, and Vieira. So I mean, that's not a, a tough thing. And then she's thirty twenty six for no. So that's uh, that shows you that there was a difference in the uh, level of competition. You know, I feel like Megan only has one good thing going for her is that you know she's got a great you know, long six one body, you know, uh and I think that could definitely cause Ngano problems just with her sloppiness. But I mean, Megan's ground game is very alarming. So I mean I really can't uh take a side confidently in this one. I think Kat's Ngano eventually in time will end up getting caught out there on the feet and Megan might show up a lot better this time, man. And that length, man. We're talking six one. That's a big girl. Uh, you know, I'm going to go with the upset. I'm going to take uh, Megan Anderson. You know, I think uh, I see it being an ugly fight, but I see that length causing a lot of problems. Yeah, to me, this is a tough fight to call just because both fighters excel where uh, the other one's weak. You know, this is striker versus grappler right here, man. And uh, 
Not that, you know, it's a black belt versus a Muay Thai world champion. You know, far from it. It's going to be an ugly fight. But I'm just saying, on the feet, Megan Anderson being six foot one and landing those knees on Holly like she, did, like she did. You know, Holly is actually known for her striking. Cat striking is very, very ugly, Shaq. And if she eats a couple of those knees, yeah, you heard her go on Joe Rogan and talk about uh, that she can't get concussed too, too many more times. So... You know, if, if this is a canvas nap, uh, I won't be surprised because Megan Anderson has put girls to sleep before. But then you got to talk about her ground game, man. Let's just put it this way. If she gets taken down, uh, <laughs> she's not getting back up that round. Uh, and she's not going to retain her guard if you pass. She's not going to throw up submissions. I mean, that round is over. So my question here is, Kazangano being known more for her ground game, especially on top because you saw her pound out Amanda Nunes. If she takes down Megan, similar to how Holly did, is she gonna? Is Megan gonna be able to survive, or is this gonna be a more violent version of what happened in that Holly home fight? You know, will Cat be able to pass full mount and from there get off on uh, what made her get that title shot back in the day against Ronda Rousey? Because the way that she finished Amanda Nunes was absolutely brutal, and that's the kind of game plan she needs to implement in this fight. Hopefully not take that ass whooping up front in the first round and then have to come back. But the fact that she does have that heart, she does have that experience, you know, maybe uh, she will have to overcome some adversity in this fight. One thing I know, if it comes down to Will and who's tougher, I, I got to go with Kat Zingano, man. I, I think there's a lot of questions that need to be answered with Megan Anderson. I'm not sold on her one bit. Yeah, she does have the the length and all that. And on the feet, I do think she can rock Zingano. But if this fight hits the mat, I think the momentum will shift towards Zingano's side. And I I, I got her uh, winning a decision here. Possibly a TKO or a submission. That's funny. I picked all the three possible methods, right? No, but I'm saying if it hits the mat, she can pound her out from full mount with elbows, with punches, or potentially, you know, set up an arm triangle, take the back choke her out, something like that. So I see uh, Kat winning this fight on the mat. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got Walt the Big Ticket Harris. He's minus 175. And the comeback on Andre the Pitbull Arlovsky is plus 155. Shaq, uh, another heavyweight fight. This one's going to be really interesting. While it lasts, which way are you going? Yeah, you know, it seems like uh, Arlovsky's chin's been holding up uh, these last few fights. But, you know, I think it's been getting warmed up instead. You know, I think... Uh, these guys he's been letting him you know, that he's been fighting just aren't haven't been clean enough. You know, I feel like he's had, you know, a couple, you know, Junior Albini, you know, kind of plots forward, stands right in front of him, not very agile. You know, I think Walt Harris is, isn't really your typical heavyweight. I think he's agile. I think he's getting better. I think he's adding even takedowns in his game now. I think Arlovsky's a tough, tough guy, fights with good spirit. He's definitely going to come to fight. But, uh, you know, I just think there's a big uh, speed disadvantage and just – defense, uh, Arlovsky's defense, you know, when he throws, he's there to get hit right after. So, you know, I think, uh, Walt Harris is just a superior athlete. I think he's improving, you know, fight to fight faster, stronger, younger, a little bit more hungrier. So, uh, I like Walt Harris. I actually like him by finish. You know, I think this, uh, fight gets ended in the first round by KO by Walt Harris. Yeah. Walt Harris is a guy that you know, when he first came into the UFC, he was only 6-1. and one. He was really inexperienced. And he basically had no business in some of the fights that he was in. He had to uh, take his L's, go back on the regional scene, KO, you know, one of those Friday night jobbers, and then get that call back. 
And, you know, still, you know, being brought in to lose against Soa Puleli in Australia in 2014, you know, he just, uh, he just hadn't put it together at that time. But then he took two years off. And the run that Walt Harris is on now, I feel like we're starting to see the the complete the finished product with Walt Harris. What we've always expected because we always thought, look, he's an athletic guy, he's got knockout power, but you know all this shit keeps happening in his fights, and you know he's inconsistent. You look at the record, and by the way, the record says eleven and seven. It's really thirteen and five because we all know he beat Shamila and Mark Godbeer. So let's just get that out the way. But look, bottom line is. He's really been putting it together his last few fights. I know the Fabricio Werdum fight went down how it went down, but, I mean, Fabricio Werdum, former uh, UFC world champion. You know, that guy fucking also, you know who You know who Werdum also submitted Shaq? He also submitted Cain Velasquez. He also submitted Fedor. So I don't really see any shame in getting submitted by uh, Fabricio Werdum, you know? So to me, and plus, that was a day of switch-up. He was supposed to fight Godbeer that day. You're training to fight Godbeer. It's like, okay, I'm just going to go knock this guy out real quick. Don't really have to put much emphasis on my ground game. You know, just do what I do. But then the day of the fight, because you remember what happened, they're like, uh, actually, you got to fight uh, Fabricio Werdum. Because, you know, Black Beast pulled out on uh, on Werdum. So they hit up my boy, uh, Walt Harris. He takes it on a day notice. One takedown, the fight was over shortly after. You know, he didn't train for Fabricio Werdum. But since that point... Two knockouts and uh, the Daniel Spitz fight, you know, against a six foot seven guy who was a D1 football player who was running away. Walt Harris uh, showed his composure, and when he landed that left hand shot, man, it was uh, it was devastating how he left Daniel Spitz inside that octagon. And what I think this fight comes down to is, look, Andre Arlovsky, he's a very tough, seasoned guy. He's going to come out there. He's going to try his best. But historically speaking, uh, his chin ain't the best. He's been knocked out 10 times. He's also been dropped in additional fights, you know, not mentioning the ones he's been knocked out in. You know, like the Tai Tuivasa fight, like the Josh Barnett fight, all those. But uh, he's a tough guy. He's going to try to come out here and get his, uh, get his volume going on, on Walt Harris. But the, th- the issue here is that not only does he struggle with southpaw Shaq, I simply don't think he can eat that left-hand shot. I'm not trying to sound like McGregor or any shit. I'm just saying it because Walt Harris is a southpaw. His left-hand shot is his money shot, is his uh, you know fight-winning KO shot. So I think that if uh, Walt Harris lands that left-hand shot, he's going to put Arlovsky down. And I also think if it goes to the scorecards, that, uh, that Walt Harris can win there too. I really feel like he's coming into his own. The Shamil Abdurrahimov fight, I felt like he won the second and third round. I thought he got robbed, but the bottom line is, even if he got robbed, it showed that he's on that level right now. He's, you know, he should be a top 15 heavyweight. He's among the, the Shamil Abdurrahimovs, and those kind of guys go out there and beat Arlovsky. I'm going with uh, Walt the Big Ticket Harris via KO victory, Shaq. Pay-per-view time, first fight on the main card in the UFC featherweight division. We got Chad Mendez, or as we like to say in Brazil, Shaq, Chadji Menj. He's minus 145, and the comeback on Alex Volkanovski is plus 125. Now, Shaq, I've heard some, some differentiating opinions here. Some say Chad should be an even bigger favorite because they say that their styles are very similar, but Chad Mendez is the better version. Others say that Alex Volkanovsky is the future and Chad Mendes is uh, the past. So uh, I got to know your take on the matter. I mean, this is a, another good fight, you know, uh, that I'm really interested, man, because, you know, Mendes was coming off quite the layoff. Everyone hated him his last fight uh, before Jerry. Uh, and he comes out and he gets that first round knockout. It's kind of tough to say overall where he lies in the featherweight division because we only saw him fight for, you know, 
less than a, a couple minutes, you know. Uh, it was against a completely different style. You know, Jerry tries to be that long, rangy, you know, perfect type of striker, and it didn't work out. Mendez's power prevailed, and it's prevailed several times in the past. You know, he knocked out Elkins, knocked out Lamas, uh, Guida, uh, a lot of guys, man. So Mendez definitely has that power. He's definitely an elite athlete, Division one wrestler, uh, fought for the title several times. I mean, He's done it all, man, and I guess, uh, you know, that time off kind of gave him time to reset and just chill, so, you know, that that would be definitely a concern. You know, Volkanovski finally had that uh, step up in competition his last fight uh, with Elkins, and, you know, uh, you know his fights before Elkins is kind of tough to say because, uh, you know, those are definitely all dominant, and he treated all of them accordingly, but, you know, those guys, uh, I don't know what their combined UFC record is, but it's not very good. And, uh, you know, in the Elkins fight, you know, it kind of seemed like he was trying to implement a little bit more of uh, he's been doing a little bit more training with uh, Israel and those guys over there. He's been trying to, you know, use that jab a little bit more. But, you know, Volkanovski, this kind of is an interesting matchup because, you know, he's going to he's around Mendez's height. He's around Mendez's, you know, stature and frame. And, you know, both guys kind of use the same weapons, man. They both like to throw these big overhand rights. And I like Volkanovski's overhand right as well, man. I think uh, along the line, you're going to start seeing Volkanovski drop a lot of guys with hands, even though he's dropped guys with hands before. But, you know, he's really mainly known for, you know, muscling guys to the mat. And, you know, clearly here, you know, I, I don't really think that's going to be an option. I think he's going to have to stand toe-to-toe with, uh, Mendez and get the better of the exchanges to win this one. I mean, Chad's wrestling credentials are, uh, you know, top notch. And, you know, but the question is here, how is Chad going to fight for three rounds for the first time in, you know, three years, three years and some change. So this fight's definitely got a lot of questions, you know, just by resumes. I think Mendez definitely deserves to be favored. Uh, but, you know, 18-1 and one, Volkanovski, how can you blame someone for taking a shot on that? Again, especially a guy like Volkanovski who's got a good mindset. You know, he's got that uh, that uh, attitude that he's going to, you know, be the bully in there. So it's a good fight. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I've been going back and forth on this one. Uh, but I'm, I'll go to Volkanovski in an upset. Man, it's such a great fight. Really cannot wait for this one. So... A lot of people are saying that it's like two mirror images of each other, and yeah, I guess they're both five foot six, and they both come to fight. But I don't think they have similar styles, you know. With Volkanovski, obviously both guys can knock you out with one shot, but Volkanovski, it's more so, you know, he'll pin you up against that fence. Uh, he'll kind of get rough and tough with you. I mean, he's a former rugby player. He likes to rough guys up and make it a battle of wills. And I don't mean eat one to give one because he doesn't eat that many shots, but if he has to, he will. But, I mean, he just kind of breaks guys. And also, when he beat Jeremy Kennedy at his own game, that was pretty incredible. But with Chad Mendes, it's more of instead of pinning you up against the fence like Volkanovski does, he's more of he'll, he'll blast W in the center of that cage. And he won't try to pass your guard or anything like that. He'll just try to smash you inside your guard. Now, I got questions, obviously, about Chad Mendes' chin. I mean, I felt like Jose Aldo, not just the first time with that knee, but the second time, that war they had, they left so much inside the octagon that both guys started getting dropped uh, in subsequent fights as a result. I mean, you have a war like that, that's just how it goes. Like Carlos Condit and Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler got knocked out in the first round his very next fight after that war. Uh, when you have a war like that, you know, your durability definitely is going to wane. And then you see that fight with uh, Conor McGregor and Chad Mendez and 
everyone's going to sit here and talk to me about how, oh, short notice, off the couch, he was out of shape. Okay. So we'll, we'll give him a pass for his cardio in that fight, even though we can talk about the Nick Lentz fight where he gassed out in the third round. Oh, but he was sick there, Shaq. So there's always an excuse. One, he was sick, and then the other one, it was off the couch. But let's not even talk about the cardio issue here. Let's talk. Let's not even talk about the chin issue yet. Let's talk about the fight IQ issue. So, so you take this fight on short notice versus Connor. We know he's got no ground game. So how about we just stay on top of the guy and smash him? So how come uh, Chad Mendes is going for guillotines? I get that he trains at Team Alpha Male, but you clearly like first of all, he's only won one fight via submission. It was against Anthony Cheesetake Morrison in the WEC. So he's not known for submitting guys. Let's just put it that way. And uh, he's clearly winning the round in terms of when he was on top because on the feet he was getting destroyed but when he was on top he was stalling out the rounds and uh, he could have potentially won that first round but you know he decides to it actually might have been the second round he decides to you know instead of sticking to what i'm doing doing what works i'm gonna go for a guillotine and uh, give up position and then get knocked out so i i, I don't only question his chin chat because he got one punch ko'd by uh by frankie edgar as well don't don't forget about that I question his cardio, the Nick Lentz fight, the Connor fight, and I question his fight IQ. Going for guillotines in that Connor fight? What are you doing, man? Then, after the Frankie Edgar fight where he got one punch KO'd, he popped, he comes back. He only fought for like one minute, 30 seconds against Miles Jury. And not only was it a minute, 30 seconds, hey, props to him, you went out there, you knocked out Miles Jury, the guy had never been KO'd before. Miles Jury didn't land any punches in that shot, in that fight. Miles Jury didn't land any significant strikes. So the chin question wasn't answered. The fight didn't go past two minutes. The cardio question wasn't answered. And basically nothing happened. So the fight IQ question wasn't answered either. So I still don't really know what the deal is on Chad Mendez because he fights a, you know, a tougher matchup than Jury. And he could get slept again. Or we could see glimpses of, you know, I want to say the old Mendez, but it's not even about the old Mendez. It's just about are his skills good enough to beat Volkanovsky? And I think that, obviously, Volkanovski has never seen anything like this before in his career. So there is that chance that it is first UFC L time. This is a massive step up. But I also think that if he doesn't get KO'd in that first round, and Chad does start to huff and puff in that second and third, and, you know, he's not able to take his uh, tainted meat because of this USADA thing going on, I do think that Volkanovski can come out here and win a very hard-fought split decision. So... I'm actually going to slightly lean with the upset as well, but I do think it's a tough fight to call. So uh, may the best man win. Now, next up in the UFC light heavyweight division, we got Ilir Latifi. He's minus 140. The comeback on Corey Anderson is plus 120. Now, Shaq, uh, I mean, I got the feeling, man, if this shit hits the scorecards, Corey Anderson's about to out-volume Ilir Latifi. The question is, is it going to hit the scorecards? Yeah, man. Corey looked looked great his last fight. And uh, Lear also looked great his last fight against OSP. Definitely caught him on the chin. And, you know, uh, it's an interesting fight, man. I've always felt like Corey Anderson is a top three light heavy. Let me not say that, but, I mean, light heavyweight's actually. Remember the days when they said light heavyweight was weak? Uh, but I feel like Corey Anderson's got all the skills in the world. I mean, he's one of the best point. He probably is the best point fighter in the division. His MMA wrestling is you know, top-notch in that division. His cardio's, you know, second to none in that division. I mean, Corey Anderson's got it all besides that chin, man. Uh, it's just uh, he tends to get wobbled. His last fight, he didn't get wobbled. He looked on point. He looked sharp. 
I mean, that was a great performance. Uh, you know, I felt like in the past that Lear's been a little, also a little bit mentally fragile at times, you know, uh, but it seems like ever since he, you know, went down there to uh, ATT, but it's interesting, he did this camp in uh, Sweden with Alex, so, you know, it's going to be interesting. I think the fight's pretty simple, man. I think it, I think Corey Anderson's better than Alir Tifi in every aspect of the game besides, you know, power. I think that, of course, Alir can land the big shot, but I just think that Corey Anderson's going to find ways to avoid it. You know, I think uh, he's going to mix in his takedowns, not necessarily get all of them, but, you know, just tie him up against the fence, keep a high work rate, and uh, hopefully his cardio can keep him conscious, man, but I mean, that button has been touched before. I'm sure it'll be touched again. But uh, I got Corey Anderson by 30-27. Yeah, it's really going to come down to that one thing. I mean, can Latifi land the kill blow? I really think it's KO or bust for Ilir Latifi. So as far as Corey Anderson's concerned, his chin has definitely been touched over the years. But man, the dude is definitely putting in work. I mean, he had the, the nickname Beaston 25-7 for a reason. Now he's got the nickname Overtime. There's only one other guy that I know who's gotten named Overtime before by their coach, and that's Emmanuel Matador Sanchez. I mean, you're talking about guys that'll outwork their opponents inside that cage. And if Corey Anderson does not take a canvas nap here, he will defeat Alir Latifi. I just find it hard to imagine Latifi winning the, the decision. I guess the only way is if he, I guess he if he drops him and somehow Corey doesn't go out. If Corey survives the knockdown... I guess that round would go to Alir Latifi, obviously. But ever since his knockout losses, I mean, you talk about a guy that'll put their head down and grind. You know, everyone was counting out Corey Anderson uh, after after those KO losses, saying that, you know, the dude's got no chin, that he can't even compete. And now, now he's a top five guy. I mean, the guy's got to win over Jan Blakovic. Uh, let's not forget that he's beaten the top five guy before. So... And also a perennial top five guy in Glover. I know Glover's a little bit on the older side now, but still to get that win and in the fashion that he did, I mean, he's going to have that on the on his resume for the rest of his life, no doubt about that. So it comes down to if Latifi's going to touch that chin. In terms of who's the harder worker, look, they're both they're both hard workers, no doubt about that. But I feel like Latifi's got options outside the cage, man. He's a politician. He's a very well-respected guy. You know, I feel like that that horse lord gimmick is uh, getting to some people's heads a little bit. You know, it's fun. It's fun to watch the guy. You look at the pictures. He's riding elephants. He's riding horses. He's doing the whole bit. I, I like Latifi. It's pretty awesome. But I think that if Corey Anderson doesn't get knocked out, I think he outworks Latifi here. So I will also go with Corey Anderson via decision here. Now, Shaq. Next up in the welterweight division, we got Michael the Maverick Chiesa. He's minus one sixty-five. The comeback on Carlos, the natural-born killer Condit, is plus 145. Now, uh, man, interesting matchup. Uh, Chiesa's first fight at 170 pounds, and Carlos Condit desperately needs to get back in the win column. So which way are you going? Yeah, this is a great fight. You know, Chiesa's moving up to 170. And uh, Condit, you know, he's falling on tough times, but, you know, he's still Carlos Condit. He's still the legend. He's still got a little bit of fight in him. Um, you know, overall, from the overall standpoint of things, uh, you know, I think the the thoughts on this fight from the general public are is that, you know, Carlos is washed up and that, uh, you know, all these guys are going to start beating him now. And, uh, you know, that's one way to look at things. But, you know, Kiesa, you know, I can kind of also say that his luck's kind of run out, man. I think, uh, you know, his story on Tough was great. And, you know, he definitely had some... Good wins like over Ally Kenta, uh, Trinaldo, Vic, 
Dariush. He's got some good wins, man. He it seemed like his game, you know, was so based on getting on top of guys, and once he got on top of guys, he'd finish them. But uh, you know, ever since he had that major surgery when he was supposed to fight Ferguson, ever since he's come back, things just haven't been going his way. The Kevin Lee smashing, you know, uh, one person could say uh, Carlos can't do that, but I mean, hey, what ha- what exactly happened? Kiesa was on top. He got reversed and taken down. I saw Carlos hit that same exact. Uh, you know, reversal two times his last fight. You know, I feel like Carlos in his prime would have demolished Kiesa probably within a couple minutes, you know. Uh, but that's definitely not the same Carlos. Uh, but I still think Carlos has a little fight in him. You know, his last fight, he was still, you know, looked like he was attempting some flying knees, at least feigning for him. Uh, seemed like he <laughs> was down for a war. I mean, that back take that he had at the end of the, the first round, I just think that, you know, at welterweight with you know, Alex Cowboy, who's top 15, I just don't think those fights are necessarily the best for Carlos. I think he will lose those fights most likely. But Kiesa, I mean, skill-wise, I mean, what's he really got? I think his striking is atrocious. I think that his cardio is questionable. I think he's low-key got an extensive history of showing that when things don't go his way, that he uh, tends to, you know, just kind of fold up. I mean, even getting back to Jorge Masvidal, back in his hometown, he... uh, you know, things weren't going his way there. I know it was a vet and Jorge had way more experience than him, but hey, it happened. Then, uh, you know, it was unfortunate with the Lozon cut stoppage, but these last two fights after that major surgery, and, you know, he got so carried away before the Pettis fight, missing the weight, and, you know, in the introductions when Bruce is uh, screaming his name, I mean, you know, uh, just the way he was acting, man, he's been acting real sketchy lately, man, and, you know, I think his game has to, I think if he gets on top, he has to finish you. I think, you know, him chaining together and riding out top control throughout a 15-minute fight is really not something that he's used to. I feel like he's more of just that explosive ground and pound, you know, rear naked choke type of guy. So, you know, I actually think this fight's a lot. Uh, I feel like this fight should be kind of lying closer to a pick I understand the hesitations in Carlos. But I think KS is a little bit overrated. I feel like... Uh, He's probably hit, his, hit, you know, his ceiling, you know, that run that he was on before the Ferguson fight or uh, when it was suppo- when they were supposed to fight. But I might actually take Carlos in an upset. I think he's uh, got the better cardio in the 15. I think Kies is going to come out like he always does hard, use a lot of energy trying to take him down, and I'm sure he will take Carlos down. But uh, Carlos likes to scramble. He likes to, you know, roll uh, for leg locks, attempt triangles. I mean, he's a real scrambly guy. So, And I think he's going to be a little bit more confident. And not to mention, this is the easiest fight he's had uh, on a contract in a long time. So I got Carlos Condit in the upset. I mean, this is the easiest fight he's had in his entire UFC career because every single guy he's fought was top 10, top 15 at the time that he fought them, except this guy. I mean, you could say he's top 15 at lightweight, but between you and me, I mean, he's not. He hasn't one shit in forever but either has Condit I get it but man these last few fights uh these guys that Condit's been fighting they're all top 15 guys they're all legit guys that would all smoke Kiesa I think the biggest issue with Kiesa is that his game hasn't really progressed I see the same guy that I saw on the Ultimate Fighter like I see the same guy that fought Jim Miller and uh Benil and you know, you can give him a lot of credit because he beat a guy like Benil, no doubt about it. But you know Benil's always historically struggled with that specific style. Don't ask me why. But just go back and check out the facts. Benil lost to Ramsey Nijum. Benil lost to Michael Chiesa. Benil had that 
sketchy draw with Evan Dunham. Every time he fights that long, you know, ugly workman, it, shit doesn't go Benil's way for some reason. Don't ask me why. It's just, it is what it is. But in terms of this, I don't know what happened in those two years he took off because he comes in there against uh, Lee and, and Pettis. And yeah, they're both great fighters, but there's nothing wrong with losing the great fighters because you look at Carlos Condit's record and, and you go back and you watch his fights, he's got a lot of losses on his record. But it's the performances, man. When Carlos Condit lost to these great fighters like George St. Pierre, he dropped George St. Pierre with a head kick. When he lost to Robbie Lawler for the title, a lot of people thought he might have won that fight. When Chiesa is losing these fights, Chiesa's getting blown out the water in every facet of the game, Shaq. And, you know, people talk about his ground game as if, oh, he's just going to take Condit one time and the fight's going to be over shortly after. I don't see it like that at all, my man. I mean, Condit's a guy that you take him down and immediately he's attacking off his back. And for some reason, I was under the impression that, you know, he was completely done after the the Robbie Lawler and the Maya fights. And yeah, he's done in terms of being a top 15 fighter, but I don't think he's done at all in terms of having fun fights. And I think this fight falls under the category of fun fights. You know, this guy doesn't bring the threat that Damian Maya brings. This guy's not a smart, you know, perennial top 10 guy like Neil Magny. I know people like to shit on Neil Magny. I know we max bet faded Neil Magny his last fight, but so what? Neil Magny's the guy that beat Kelvin Gastelum. Santiago Ponzinibbio took him to the fourth round to get this guy out of there. We're talking about legit top 15 guys right now, Shaq. I don't think Kiesa has those skills. And then, uh, Alex Cowboy, you know Alex Cowboy would uh, stop Kiesa in the first round. So I really feel like this is almost, I don't want to say a cupcake, but this is the easiest fight Connett's had in years. And man, I feel like when Kiesa takes him down immediately, Connett's going to start scrambling. He's going to start attacking subs. He's going to try to reverse him. Pettis had a lot of success. He's got a great guard too. And, uh, you know, when a guy like Pettis, who, you know, he got finished his fight before, uh, Kiesa, he got finished his fight after Kiesa, but he looks like the old WEC Pettis against Kiesa. I think Conant's going to look like WEC Conant against Kiesa too, and you know we can talk about fading him his next fight, but here against Kiesa, this is such a winnable matchup. I see him hurting Kiesa badly on the feet. I see him reversing the scrambles when it hits the mat. I think Kiesa will get on top at points, but I also think Conant will get on top, and when Conant gets on top, I think he's going to land significantly more damage. I actually think he's better than Kiesa in every facet of the fight. People are going to say it's striker versus grappler. Uh, I see a one-dimensional guy versus a well-rounded guy. I think Carlos has got him beat everywhere, and I think he finishes Michael Kiesa second or third round, most likely by TKO. Co-main event of the evening, Christine Cyborg Justino. She's minus 235, and the comeback on Amanda Delioness Nunes is plus 215. Shaq, it's not often you see a plus 215 next to Amanda Nunes' name. And if she wins this fight, she will become the GOAT women's MMA fighter because she'll be the bantamweight and the featherweight champ, and she'll be the one that defeated Ronda and Cyborg. So I got to know, does Amanda Nunes have what it takes to come out here and get this uh, massive upset in women's MMA history? Man, this is a great fight, man. Uh, The two greatest chicks to ever do it. Cyborg Santos, I mean, what can I say? She's a big strong physical tank that likes to move forward and with for a chick with all those muscles and you know uh who cuts a, a lot of weight and you know who people have talked a lot of shit about in the past i mean her cardio held up in that five round fight against holly home man her cardio holds up in pretty much every fight because she's so uh so ahead but this is definitely going to be her toughest fight man amanda's not something that can be taken lightly and we know that cyborgs can't 
you know, definitely didn't take it lightly, even though they've been talking a little bit. But <clears throat> Nunez, I feel like, you know, is a little bit more faster, uh, agile in the early goings. And, you know, she could possibly, you know, land a couple, you know, sharp shots early, like a one-two quick and, uh, you know, try to get out of there. But, uh, you know, how I see this fight going is I actually do see Nunez, you know, having a little bit of success early. But I see the movement slowing down as the fight progresses. I see Cyborg eventually being able to close off that distance and then getting off on her shots. You know, not kind of similar to Holly Holm, but uh, but sort of like that in a sense. I just think that uh, as the fight plays out, that size and just that uh, forward pressure will eventually get to Nunes. But I think it's going to be close, man. I think uh, it won't necessarily be down to the wire, but I do see Nunes winning a round or two. Yeah, it's really interesting because I feel like this is by far the best MMA fighter that Cyborg's ever fought. You know, this ain't Tanya Evinger or Lena Landsberg. No disrespect. Great fighters. Holly Holm. This is something completely different. And when you talk about those fighters, they did pretty damn good. Lena Landsberg made it past the first round. Tanya Evinger, I believe she made it into the fourth round. And Holly Holm lasted all five rounds. So I see Amanda Nunes doing pretty decent here actually i don't think she's gonna get blown out if she does i mean listen props to cyborg cyborg's a beast she's in the position she's in for a reason but you also saw how yana kunitskaya took down cyborg right and yana you know she wasn't ready for that moment obviously and she just wasn't experienced enough but someone like amanda nunez they get you down like that i've seen when she gets some of these girls down the fights are over shortly after and i'm not entirely sure what cyborg's jujitsu game is like i know i know her only mma loss is via submission so i think there's a case here to make for the underdog man and even though cyborg might simply be too big might be too powerful and might come out here and just you know destroy a man in nunes i actually do think this is a dog or pass situation shack and interestingly enough i, I just think that amanda nunes is going to be faster i think that she's technical enough to where she can not necessarily slip out of the way of these punches, but have the right game plan to know how know how to strike with Cyborg without, you know... When, when these girls are in there striking with Cyborg, they're defeated before the fight even starts. So when Cyborg throws a punch and you block it and you feel the force on your, on your forearms, these girls are already... They're broken. And I just don't think that Amanda Nunes is that girl. I know earlier in her, in her career she had cardio issues and, you know... Things didn't go her way. She kind of checked out. But I feel like since that point, I mean, she's a fucking world champion that's defended her belt a bunch. I feel like she's addressed that. And even though the, the fighters that she's been fighting, Cyborg would beat as well, she's definitely been fighting a tougher lineup than, than Cyborg. There's no doubt about that. I would say the level of competition Amanda's been fighting is way higher. So I'm going to actually go with Amanda Nunes to get this upset, and I'm going to say via submission check. Main event of the evening, the moment we've all been waiting for. John Bones Jones, he's minus 265. The comeback on Alexander Gustafsson is plus 245. Shaq, the first fight was incredible. I know this one I won't disappoint. Which way are you going? Yeah, it's a great fight. Uh, John Jones, the GOAT, you know. I feel like John Jones is one of those guys that just pretty much wins every position. You know, I feel like he just wins every clinch, uh, clinch battle or he gets that extra takedown a Yao wrestled Cormier you know an Olympian uh he's out outstruck in uh guys like in his prime like Rampage Jackson and Rashad Evans and you know uh Shogun Hula so I mean this guy John is known for rising to the occasion he's known for winning 
He's never lost before. And Gustafsson, we know that he's got the skills. He's got better hands than Jones for sure. Uh, the thing with Gustafsson is he tends to lose the big fights, but you can never count anyone out that has the skills. You know, once you got the skills, all you need is the belief. You know, I feel like uh, just the feel in the air of the fight is a little weird just because John's got all this stuff going on once again. And, you know, like we've seen, man, these goats, uh, these goats lose. And, you know, there's only a few remaining left that, uh, that haven't, man. And DJ just went down and, you know, uh, we'll see if John goes down, but, you know, I can't go against the goat. I think Gustafson's a great fighter. I think he's going to fight John hard. I think John's going to have one of the toughest fights he's had in his career. I feel like he might even get wobbled, dropped, something like that, have to go through some serious adversity to win this. I do feel like he, I do think he's focused, but I definitely think there's a lot of distractions. And I mean, uh, Gustafson, Gustafson's hungry, man. I, I, I think this is it. not necessarily it. Like he's going to retire or anything, but you know, this is his big moment, man. This is, this is uh, his last title shot, you know? So uh, you can't count a guy like Gustafson out, but I can't go against the GOAT. But uh, this fight's got a, a weird feeling. Man, I cannot wait. It's going to be an incredible fight for sure. Obviously, Alexander Gustafsson, he's looking to make third time the charm here and finally get that UFC belt around his waist. When you talk about John Jones, a lot of these guys are already defeated before the fight starts from a physical standpoint. You know, to compete with John Jones, it's uh, one thing to have the skills because, you know, a lot of these, he's been feeding, he's been defeating all time great. So all those guys have skills. But you also have to have the physicality to match a guy like John Jones. And Alexander Gustafsson, he's actually taller than John Jones. And, you know, he's he's got a reach disadvantage for sure. But his reach is long enough to where, you know, he's not uh, he's not just getting eye-poked at range. Let's just put it like that, Shaq. You know, this is going to be a very competitive fight. I think Alex Gustafsson actually has better hands than John Jones. And his offensive wrestling, he took down John Jones. He took down DC. I feel like Alexander Gustafsson is well-rounded. He's got great footwork. His uppercuts obviously are beautiful. There's a couple things that I think can go against him at times. Like you watch that fight with Glover and you see the way he's running away. And I get, you know, against Glover, hey, the guy is so slow and old, whatever, you can get away with that. But when you're fighting a guy like Jones who's going to go forward the entire time and you're running away like that, I don't think it's going to look as good on the judges' scorecards. And since I think this is going to be a five-round war, you need every single advantage you can get, Shaq. And I know that's funny that I say every advantage. We're going to talk about the steroid thing. And, you know, a lot of people are discrediting John Jones. And, yes, he's not a perfect person by any stretch, and he's done a lot wrong. But, like, are you saying steroids are what taught him to do a spinning back elbow and, you know, bring that move into the UFC? Are you telling me steroids are the reason – uh, he had that incredible back take against Ryan Bader. Are steroids the reason he had that beautiful guillotine against Machida? You see what I'm saying? And then he fights a guy like Vitor Belfort, who's actually a guy who's been known for taking steroids for a long time. They both get in submission attempts. When John Jones was in a deep armbar, he didn't tap. That showed heart. When Vitor Belfort was in the shoulder lock, he tapped right away. Both guys were allegedly juiced. Well, we know Vitor was juiced for fact. John, we're not sure about bottom line. Let's say they were both juiced that night. Well, one guy showed heart, one guy didn't, Shaq. So what I'm trying to say here is that you guys need to stop act you guys need to stop discrediting Jones uh wins and, and his abilities, his skills, just because of this outside bullshit. Like whatever he took, whether you believe this uh, you know, fifty eight million pieces of a picogram inside a, you know, 
a grain of salt in an Olympic sized swimming pool, all that bullshit, whether you believe that or not, doesn't matter. But you have to understand that steroids did not teach him the techniques he brings to the table. This guy is a virtuoso when he's inside the octagon. He's such a great fighter to the point where, I mean, he doesn't have his shit together outside the octagon, but that doesn't really matter. All that matters is his matchup shack. And as far as this one goes, I see Gustafsson having a lot of success with his hands, man. It's just that. When the going gets tough, not that Gustafsson's not tough. He's as tough as they come, man. And he's this is his third time fighting for a UFC title for a reason. And even though he might go 0-3, I don't think he's a Kenny Florian. I don't think that Dana White can, can say, oh, Alex Gustafsson chokes in big fights. Even though on paper he loses them all, Kenny Florian would stare at people in title fights. Alex Gustafsson's fighting life and death. He's just falling short in those championship rounds. I think this fight might be even closer than the, than the first one. I don't buy the narrative about how now Jones is uh, you know, a new man or this or that. Like that that's all that's all hearsay, that's all hype. All that matters is how the skills match up, and this is the toughest matchup on paper for John Jones. I was in the building when Anderson Silva got knocked out by Chris Weidman. And I thought that was a completely impossible outcome. I know some people were picking Weidman for the upset, but I just thought it was a foregone conclusion that the GOAT, Anderson Silva, can never lose. He's going to retire undefeated. And you start thinking similar things about John Jones, and then it happens when you least expect it that the all-time great finally has to take that L. Now, like you said, I can't pick against Jones. So if he's going to take that L here, it's going to be the first time, then I'm, I'm okay getting this one wrong. But I do think it's going to be a super close fight. I'm going to go with John Jones via a very close split decision. I think this is another war. I think it's going to be fight of the night. I think Jones slightly edges it out here, Shaq. So I'm going to go with him via split. It might even be very controversial, just like the first. Maybe more controversial. Because when I go back and I watch the first, I score it for Jones. But I think this one's going to be closer. I just think Gustafsson, even though I know he was hungry for the DC title shot, I know he was hungry his first time against Jones, but... Just knowing that this is your last chance and you see the way he's been training. Uh, he's doing old school training methods. Uh, they're putting him through hell for this. He's giving it everything he has. But will that be enough? I cannot wait to find out. I got John Jones via split decision. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself, Kyle. It's going down this Saturday, the rematch of one of the best fights in light heavyweight history. John Jones versus Alexander Gustafsson. How's it going, man? Great, man. Uh, ready to end the year off right with another win and to watch the goat fight once again hopefully he doesn't fuck it up afterwards and miss any more time uh because i mean i'm selfish and i don't want him to screw up my viewing pleasure you know what i mean oh 100 and the good news is uh you know his post-fight fuck-ups aren't gonna affect any bet slips so just everyone listening at home just know that you're all good even if he pops but just uh getting right down to business my man you know, this fight, the first time they fought, it was a war. It was a very close fight. And you see uh, Alexander Gustafsson at 7,100 on DraftKings. you think there's some value there? you think he can cover that? I think there's value on him in cash games. Uh, in their first fight, they combined for 162 points. Um, so that's great for a stack in cash games. I think this is the fight to stack in cash if you're going to decide between the two title fights. But John Jones is... Uh, one of my most confident picks on the card. I mean, he's the best fighter on the planet. Uh, he beat him when he was in the prime of his party career. And now apparently he has his life together. So I think he's just going to go out there and show that he is the best fighter on the planet. And I, I can see him getting the job done this time. So we don't even need the scorecards. 
Um, that's what I would really enjoy. Um, so we can shut up all the naysayers, but it could also be another close fight. And I just, I just can't pick Gus to win. So even at 7,100, I'm not going to have a whole lot of lineups on him. Uh, I'm probably going to have 150 lineups this week. So I will have some Gus, but I'm going to be really heavy on John Jones. Uh, it's just that this is really an all in type of fight. This is a, a good fight to throw a hundred percent of your lineups on. And I'm thinking I'll probably be close to like 75% John Jones, 25% Gus, if not even more John Jones. So he's my pick, um, and he's the best fighter in the world. So in the co-main event, you got Cyborg taking on Amanda Nunes, and this is probably the only time you'll ever see Nunes uh, at 7,000 in DraftKings. Do you think she covers that? I uh, See, I like that more than Gus because I think she has a shot to win this. I think if anyone can beat Cyborg, it is Nunes. Um, but I, I think you have to pick Cyborg to win. She deserves to be favored if this was a pick em fight then I would, I would take Cyborg. But I think there's some value in the line right now. Uh, I think it, it should be closer than it is. And uh, I honestly wouldn't be shocked to see Nunes go for takedowns and possibly even get a submission. I think there's a knockout in this fight. It's probably by Cyborg. But she's never been hit by anyone as hard as Nunes is going to hit her. So that might slow down the pressure that she's going to be putting on Nunes. And uh, maybe that allows Nunes to work her game. I don't know. I will be rooting for Nunes because she's made me a lot of money in the past. But Cyborg is a beast. And, I mean, she's the best woman fighter on the planet. we got the best man and woman fighter on the planet on this card. Uh, no matter how you look at it for the women, even if Nunes wins, then she's the greatest on the planet. So this is a super fight. I can't wait for it. It's another all-in fight. If you're doing multi-lineups, just go on both sides. And I'm going to be a lot closer to 50-50 on this one. Um and I'll actually go ahead and pick Nunez to get the win uh, just because I, I would want to root for that. So, Kyle, Ilir Latifi is taking on Corey Anderson. And what's so intriguing to me about this matchup is I feel like it's KO or bust for Latifi here. So my question for you, man, at 8,900, do you think that if this fight hits the scorecards that Latifi can get the victory? No, I think you're right. I think it's KO or bust for him. But I think the KO is probably the most likely outcome. Um, Anderson's way to win is with takedowns. I mean, he's one of the best wrestlers in the game and he gets a ton of, a ton, a ton of takedowns every fight. And that scores a lot of points on DraftKings as well. But now he's going against a shorter guy in Latifi who has a hundred percent takedown defense. So those takedowns aren't going to come as easy. And if he can't consistently get them, it's only going to take one heavy shot from Latifi to put him away. So I have to favor Latifi to get the job done. Uh, I think he's a solid play at 8,900 because if he does get the knockout, he's going to pay that off. But on the other side, if Anderson can get those takedowns, if he wins a decision, he's for sure going to pay off 7,300. So this is another fight where I think they're both in play. Uh, but if I was going to make just one lineup and I had to use this fight, I think you kind of have to favor Latifi to get that knockout and possibly 100 points. So Chad Mendez is taking on Volkanovski, and a lot of people are saying that you know, they're mirror images of each other. Just Chad Mendes is the more explosive athlete. And I agree, he's the more explosive athlete, but I disagree that they're mirror images of each other. I don't think that they that their fighting styles are that similar, honestly. So my question here, man, is do you think the underdog Volkanovski can rise to the occasion? Or do you think Chad Mendes shows uh, why he's a perennial top five guy? I'm going to pick Mendes here, but I do think their styles are very similar as in they are both very well-rounded, and they're solid wrestlers. So against the average uh, striker, 
they're probably going to be favored because they can use their wrestling. But this is interesting because they are both solid strikers as well. So I'm excited to see how it plays out. I think this is another one where the line should be closer than it is. Uh, I think this should almost be a pick em fight. So I love Volkanovski as well. If uh, I'm not going to go all in on this fight like those title fights, but this is going to be a fight that I want in like half of my 150. And I'll probably have a little bit more Mendez because I think he's going to end up winning with his wrestling. But if Volkanovski does win, he's probably going to be on the winning lineup at 7,500 because I don't think there's any way he scores less than like 75 points in a win. And I think it's going to be closer to like 90. And if he can do that at 7,500, uh, he has a good chance of being on that $50,000 lineup. Um, so I'm definitely interested in him. This is my favorite non-title fight on the card. I can't wait for this fight. Uh, but I'm going to I'll favor Mendez because of his wrestling. So Kaz is taking on Megan Anderson. It's striker versus grappler. So I got to know, man, based on Megan Anderson's UFC debut, are you leaning towards Zingano? Or do you think that there can be some serious sketchy moments on the feet here? Yeah, I, I was definitely leaning towards Zingano. Um, I mean, her path to victory is with takedowns, and that's what we like in DraftKings. Uh, for her to win this fight, she's going to need either the submission or just consistent takedowns to win the decision. And that, that scores highly in DraftKings, so I was like, that's, that's a clear path. I'll probably be on Zingano for that reason. But it seems like everyone is on Zingano, which makes me like her less um, because there is a path to victory for Megan Anderson. She's going to be the bigger woman here. If she can stop the takedowns, then she's going to win a striking battle for sure. Um, so, man, it's kind of made me almost fade this fight, if not even more look towards Anderson as an underdog, uh, more so to screw up a whole lot of Zingano lineups if she loses, because I think she's going to be somewhat popular at 8,500. Uh, I mean, maybe for good reason, because, I mean, Anderson does not have the greatest takedown defense, but Zingano's getting old. She's moving up a weight class. Uh, I would not be shocked if she was not able to consistently get takedowns, and if that's the case, she's going to lose a striking battle. So I'm switching my pick on this one. I'm going to go with the underdog, Megan Anderson, here, but if you're making like one to three lineups, I think you could just fade this fight in general. The prodigy BJ Penn is making his return against Ryan Hall. Uh, Ryan Hall uh, went out there 30-27, Gray Maynard and Artem Lobov. Do you think he can uh, add the, the former welterweight and lightweight champion uh, to his resume? Uh, yeah, I mean, he probably can just because BJ is so shot at this point. But uh, I'm actually going to go ahead and fanboy this one and pick BJ Penn. Uh, he was my first ever favorite fighter. Uh, it's definitely fallen off since then. Don't care for him as much after he's lost me some money. But I got to root for him. Hopefully he can get a win here right off into the sunset. And the UFC gave him the least dangerous fighter uh, in in the UFC with Ryan Hall. Uh, on the feet, man, there's nothing to be scared at with Hall. And BJ's never been submitted. If it does hit the ground, I think he can hang in there right out top control and possibly win a decision with that. But what I really think is going to happen is he's going to be catching the leg kicks that Ryan Hall throws as he's dancing around the cage and when ryan hall falls to his back i think bj is going to be kicking his legs spend time there uh and get the judges to see that he's the only one doing work and then towards the end of the round i think he should go on top get some ground and pound just to be sure he got the judge's decision the only thing is i could see him scoring like a record low amount of points like 40 points on a win because ryan hall is just DraftKings disaster like and his two wins he has 53 points and 50 points if he does that at 9,400 in a win, that I mean, you might as well take a loss. That's not going to help you at all. So I don't really like Hall at all here. If you're going to play anyone, I think it's BJ, uh, and I'm going to be rooting for him to win. 
Nathaniel Woods taking on Andre Uhl. It's an interesting fight. Both of them went out there, and uh, they beat uh, some Brazilian legends in their UFC debuts. Now they're meeting two young guys. Uh, who who you think is going to get this one done? Man, this is the one I really don't have a read on. I've gone back and forth on this fight uh, multiple times. I was on Wood originally, and then the size difference put me on Ewell. Um, but now I think I'm back on Wood. I think I'm just a little bit more impressed with what I've seen from him. Uh, and I think he's just going to put out the higher pace in this fight, and that can help him win a decision. But I think this is going to be like a 29-28 split decision either way. Uh, and I'm not going to be heavily exposed to either side because I'm not confident in either side. So I'm probably just going to throw a couple lineups on each guy just in case they can get 100-something points. But I really don't see that being the case. I think this is going to be like an, a 75-80 to 80 point win for whoever it is, and that's not going to be a must for your lineups. So I'd rather fade this fight than make either guy a must play. Uh, but I'll go ahead and pick Wood to get the win. Now, Kyle, next up in the welterweight division, we got Curtis Melender taking on C.R. Bahadurzada. I have a feeling it's going to be World War III in there, but what I got to know is, do you think this could be a one-sided victory for one guy, or do you think it is going to indeed be that back-and-forth fight, I'm thinking? I think it's probably going to be back-and-forth, and, forth. and uh, this is a dog to like. I think Sire's going to be pretty popular. He's on a three-fight win streak, all finishes, all over 100 DraftKings points. So I think a lot of people are going to go to him for that reason, uh, Melinda's got that tall guy defense. He can definitely get knocked out here by Bahadur Zara. Maybe Sire even takes him to the ground and can work some ground and pound to get a, a victory that way. Uh, so I definitely think there's a lot of reasons to like Sire here, but I also think he's going to be popular for those reasons. So that kind of makes me want to have more Melinda in my lineups. If Sire's going to be like 30% owned and Melinda only 20% owned, I would rather like flip my exposure, maybe have 30% Melinder, 20% Sire, and hope that I can kill off 30% of lineups with that Melinder knockout, if that is the case. Um, so it's more just targeting against ownership on that play, but he's got a lot of power. I like his kicks a lot. He could knock out Sire, but nobody has before. So he's, he's got to be the first one, and I think it would probably have to be from a, a kick or a flying knee or something like that. I just don't see him getting it done with punches. If he's in punching range, I think Sire's got to be the one that's going to be winning. So... If he can keep this fight on the outside, I think Melinder gets it done. He's going to be my pick to win. But Sire, uh, if, if he's one of your favorite underdogs, I, I would have no argument against that. And I think he's solid in all formats. I mean, what do you think from a betting perspective, man? Because they got Curtis Melinder minus 160. They got CR plus 140. Now, do you think that's about right? Or do you think it should be closer to a pick em? No, I think it's about right. That's probably what I would line it. Maybe 150 for uh, Melinder so. Yeah, it's, it's right there where I would have it. Well, Kyle, that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. It's going down this Saturday, the rematch, John Jones versus Alexander Gustafsson. They can follow you at Big Marley 3. Kyle, any message for them? This is uh, the last event of 2018, my man. Nah, man, uh, I have my write-up. It'll be posted. Just check out my Twitter. Links will be there. Uh, and I'm, I'm ready to close up the year hot, and I'm ready for John Jones to show everybody he is the greatest fighter on the planet. Uh, war bones. Let's get this money. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC 232? My fight to watch is actually going to be Corey Anderson versus Leila Latifi because, you know, I feel like 205 is one of the hotter divisions in the UFC right now. I mean, you got you got guys like Maheda in there now, uh, Blackovich, and, you know, the division was once called uh, the weakest division in the UFC, and 
now you got Dominique Reyes and Anthony Smith. You got Corey and Alir in the mix. I mean, uh, a win in that and a win in this fight is going to be big. I mean, these guys might be fighting Anthony next, might be fighting you know, Reyes next. So uh, it's a big fight. Yeah, no doubt about it. And for me, besides the main event, I'm going to go with Chad Mendez versus Alex Volkanovsky. I just feel like there's so many questions about both guys with Chad Mendez. Obviously, I broke it down. Uh, on uh, you know my breakdown earlier, the fight IQ, the chin, the cardio, and with Volkanovski, you got to question the level of competition. Is he ready to take this big step up in competition right now? Is he ready for that jump? Is is he a potential future top ten guy? So, and it's just going to be a hell of a fight while it lasts. These two are going to swing some serious bombs at each other. If one guy gets the takedown, it's going to be interesting to see if he can break the other man's will or if the other guy scrambles up. Just lots of reasons why this is my fight to watch, Shaq. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC 232? Yeah, my fighter to watch is going to be Bayvon Lewis. You know, he's got a, a big opportunity here to come in here and beat a guy like Uriah Hall in your UFC debut. You know, Uriah Hall, I mean, everyone knows him from the spinning head kick on tough. And, I mean, Bayvon, he's got a bright future ahead of him. He's got some good people around him. So, you know, uh, Bayvon Lewis is my fighter to watch. He's from, uh, you know, my neck of the woods. So, uh, I think he's, you know, improving fight to fight. So that's my fighter to watch. Yeah, I'll definitely be tuning in for Bayvon Lewis UFC debut. But for me, Shaq, my fighter to watch is Carlos, the natural born killer conda. You know, this is a spot that I'm going to introduce a new term here because, you know, we like to bring out these terms on half the battle and uh, people like to use them. So here's a new one for you guys. This is a spot that's known as the legend letdown. You talk about Diego Sanchez versus Craig White. You talk about Joseph Benavidez versus Alex Perez, Edson Barbosa versus Dan Hooker, and now Carlos Condit versus Michael Chiesa. What do all those fights have in common? The legend was the underdog, and the legend was severely underestimated because people thought that the legend is completely done. And then the legend comes out and shows that he still does have something left in the tank, and he comes through as an underdog in a spot where, in their prime, they would never be an underdog to this guy, man. Diego Sanchez in his prime would never be a fucking underdog to Craig White. Uh, Edson Barbosa would never be an underdog to Dan Hooker in his prime. And here, uh, Carlos Conde, an underdog to Chiesa. So I'm just saying, uh, this is a this is an interesting fight. And for those reasons, among the breakdown we gave of this fight, Carlos Conde is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq is going down this Saturday, the last event of 2018, UFC 232. And what a way to end it it's going to be with John Jones and Alexander Gustafsson. The fans can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the plays. If you want to tail me this weekend, I got three plays up right now. Use the promo code ROCKSTAR to save 15% off any package. Go to Instagram, Best Fight Picks Official. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Hook up those five-star reviews. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.